You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 14 through 20. Um, or I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to read, uh, verses, uh, 12 through 26, uh, but we're going to focus on verses 14 through 20. Uh, Paul writes this in first Corinthians chapter 12, starting there in verse 12 for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, uh, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker and indispensable, and on the parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unmentionable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, uh, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. I want you to think for just a moment about the early church. If you were to become a Christian during... Any point during the first three centuries after the life of Christ, uh, you almost certainly would have faced a variety of persecution. Uh, You would have lost your social standing in society. Uh, You would have been shunned from your family for having forsaken the religious heritage of your ancestors. Uh, There's a strong likelihood that you would have lost your job, been imprisoned, even put to death. And yet, during this same period of history, the gospel spread like wildfire. In Acts chapter 2, if you remember, at Pentecost, the church in Jerusalem baptized 3,000 members in one day alone. I can only imagine how sore the apostles must have been after that. Uh, I'm sure those guys didn't need any kind of gym membership They got plenty of exercise, just dunking guys in the water. Uh, But by the third century, when Christianity was still outlawed in the Roman Empire, while Christian homes were still being burned to the ground, and while prominent leaders were still being martyred for their faith, 
Christianity had already spread from as far as Spain to India, and it included over four million followers. So what made the early church so successful? Why was this illegal religion that could get you killed so appealing? Uh, There's obviously a number of answers that you could give. Uh, Clearly, people were coming to faith because God himself was at work drawing in others to his throne. Uh, Clearly, the evangelistic zeal from the early Christians, such as the Apostle Paul, uh, had much to do with it. Uh, But another observation that many scholars and historians have pointed to over the years is the inclusivity and the diversity that was found in the early church. We we don't often think about this, but in the ancient world, uh, religions were inherited, not chosen. Uh, You worshipped this deity because of the tribe that you belonged to. Or you worshipped that God because of the village where you lived. Uh, But that changed with the arrival of Christianity. Uh, Christianity made a very exclusive truth claim that Jesus was God, but it was the most inclusive, exclusive claim out there. Christianity really was the, the first universal religion. Not not that it taught that everyone would be saved, but it did teach that anyone could be saved. Even those that followed Jesus during his own life consisted both of men and women, the wealthy, the poor. They came from Jewish, Samaritan, and Gentile backgrounds. Uh, Even crucified thieves could participate and Roman centurions who were a part of the very crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, The inclusivity and that diversity found in the early church uh, was actually one of the church's greatest strengths. That idea that no matter who you were or where you came from, you could have a new beginning and be given a new identity in Christ in this growing religious movement known as Christianity. That was one of the key ingredients that fanned the flames of the gospel's spread. And as we look here today at the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, we'll see that this same sense of diversity should actually be one of the greatest strengths of the body of Christ even today. If I could summarize Paul's argument for you here in verses 14 through 20, it would be this. That diversity is indispensable to the design of God's church. That's Paul's argument in a nutshell. And that statement is actually going to be the outline for us as we work through these seven verses. We first need to define what biblical diversity even is. Then we'll see why it is so incredibly indispensable And finally, we'll see why it has been a part of God's design, even from the very beginning. So let's start with the the first part of that statement, at that word diversity. I know it's kind of a a buzzword in our culture today. Uh, Some people like to use it almost too much. Uh, Sometimes I don't even think they know what they mean by it. Uh, They just use it as salt and they just kind of sprinkle it on everything they say. 
Uh, and because of that, then there are some of those in Christian circles who kind of run in the opposite extreme, and, and they become suspicious, even skeptical, if somebody uses that word diversity at all. Uh, but verse 14, Paul is speaking about diversity in the body of Christ when he writes, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. So this is a biblical concept. We should talk about it, uh, but we need to make very sure that we are clearly defining what we are talking about, what we mean by this. Because uh, you have to understand that diversity is far more than just about being different. Uh, it's not just about bringing together a lot of different people with a lot of different ideas and a lot of differences. And that's how our culture defines it. You'll hear people speaking about their truth or your truth. It just, you know, like it's you know, we all have our own differing versions of what the truth even is, and all of those versions of truth have equal validity, and so we should just celebrate having a culture with so many different clashing worldviews. Uh, but that understanding is not healthy. So that, that's not what we're, we're talking about. Now, when two different ideas or worldviews are diametrically opposed to one another— uh, they can't both be true. Either both of them are wrong or one of them is wrong, but they both can't be right. So, so any culture that, that elevates or, or celebrates that kind of diversity is just delusional. Uh, so that's not what we're talking about. Instead, we're specifically talking about the variety of different believers found within the body of Christ, recognizing that though every Christian is unique and different, we all still belong to Christ. That's why Paul is then able to write in verses 15 and 16, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. The body. So as Christians, we recognize that diversity exists within the body of Christ. And there are two ways to look at the reality of our differences. The fact that you are unique and different from other members of this congregation is either a flaw that you think you need to hide or a gift that can allow you to thrive. If you think it's a flaw you need to hide, then you're going to spend all of your days lamenting the fact that you're a foot when you want to be a hand. And you'll spend all of your time thinking of all the things you know, a hand can do that, that a foot cannot. And you'll, you'll begin to feel like you're really not a part of the body and you don't really belong. All the while, when there are similar Christians in the opposite uh, situation, spending their days wishing that they were you, that they're thinking of all of the skills that God has given you to serve the body that they don't have. And if all the members of the body are all focused on who and what they're not, then the body as a whole is going to suffer as a result. So, so don't be discouraged just because you're different 
Instead, the second way to understand our differences is to see them as a gift that actually allows the body of Christ to thrive. And seen in this light, diversity then becomes indispensable to the healthy functioning of the church. And that's the second part of the statement we're going to look at. We've defined diversity. Now we want to see why it is so indispensable. Go back to verse 17. You see this. Paul writes that if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? There's a couple of reasons you see here that show why healthy diversity in the body is absolutely indispensable to its flourishing and functioning. Right, first is that diversity gives the body a sense of purpose. Uh, it, it's not just diversity for the sake of diversity. Uh, God has purposefully structured his body so that it is complete with ears and eyes and everything that we need to flourish. Uh, years ago, when I first moved to Louisville, Kentucky to go to seminary, um, it was interesting for me to see all of the, the different uh, churches in the city, to visit them, to see where I might get plugged in. Uh, and a lot of the, the churches kind of fell at one end of the spectrum or the other. Um, I would go into some congregations and walk through the doors of some churches, and it you just tell almost immediately that it didn't look like they had had visitors in years. You know, they almost seemed like they were in shock if you were a new person that walked through their doors. Uh, they were all very comfortable uh, with the same dozen or so members that they had had in their church for years. Uh, they all had their own assigned pews where they sat every week. Uh, they sang the same set of songs that they had always sung. And, and they weren't really interested in doing anything different. But then at the opposite end of that spectrum... I would visit these other churches where many of the college and the seminary students went. And sometimes I almost felt like they must have secretly had like a bouncer at the door uh, counting the number of gray hairs on your head before they would let you in. Uh, because once you got in there, you never saw any older saints at all. It was almost like if you were in your 30s, you were probably a contender for being one of the oldest members of the church. And everybody in those churches wore the same sense of trendy fashion, and they wouldn't play a worship song if it was more than a couple of years old. And the problem with both kinds of those churches is that they're all trying to operate as an incomplete body. They were congregations that were all eyes but had no ears, or they were all ears but had no nose. God intentionally equipped the body of Christ with a diverse array of members in order for that body to achieve the purpose that it was created for. So, so when we segregate our congregations by age or race or musical tastes and preferences, we're only going to make it that much more difficult for our churches to achieve that purpose. Uh, any given community around the world 
will contain a full spectrum of diversity filled with varying uh, ages, personalities, races, socioeconomic statuses, and our churches will always be healthiest when they reflect those communities that God has placed us in. So, so we should champion having churches that have a variety of different voices that we hear from all within one body. We should cherish and promote a congregation filled with a number of different personalities and people from all different ages and backgrounds and walks of life. And we should recognize that doing anything less is deciding to work as an incomplete body with missing parts. So diversity gives the body a sense of purpose, but it also gives it its sense of strength as well. There's actually strength in being different. It's not a weakness. I know some young mothers and tired fathers who might consider it a weakness that they have to spend so much of their time chasing down toddlers and changing diapers, but their ability to devote themselves to training and developing those tiny disciples is absolutely indispensable to the mission of the church. I know those who work 40 plus hours a week and who see their jobs as a weakness. They wish they had more time for personal and spiritual disciplines like prayer, uh, reading God's word. Uh, they, they wish they could be more involved in the life of the church. Uh, but the opportunities you have to share Christ with your co-workers day in and day out is integral to the advancement of God's kingdom. I know those who are uh, retired and they see their age or lack of work as a weakness. Uh, they are tempted to think that the number of the years that they have left is, is too few to make any lasting impact for Christ. Uh, but making the most out of every moment that you have been given on earth and dedicating even your retirement to God's glory can leave behind a lasting legacy that could lead many to know the Lord. Uh, I've be recently uh, been reading through the book of Numbers uh, in my morning quiet time. You know, at parts of the Bible that sometimes I think were uh, too, too quick to skim past. Uh, and I was struck the other day by Numbers chapter 4 uh, when I was reading about the responsibilities that were given to each of the clans of Levi when it came to setting up and tearing down the tabernacle. It, it was fascinating to see the diversity of roles that each of the, the Levites performed uh, because the tribe of Levi had been uh, dedicated to the service of the Lord, it was only the Levites that could carry the tabernacle uh, as they made their way through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. Uh, but within the tribe of Levi, each of the individual families had their own responsibilities. Uh, so Aaron's family, for example had the responsibilities of covering and wrapping up all of the furniture in the Holy of Holies in order to prevent it from being seen or defiled from others. So the, the Ark of the Covenant had to get wrapped in the veil that separated the Holy of Holies, uh, and then it got wrapped up in a goat skin 
Then it got wrapped up a third time in this fine blue cloth. And then it got placed on poles so that it was out of reach from those who weren't permitted to touch it. So, so that was the responsibility for Aaron and his family. Uh, but then you have another clan, the Kohathites, who, who carried all of those sacred vessels on their own shoulders. They, they weren't even allowed to use carts. They had to do it by hand, which talk about a, a great exercise routine. And, and then you have another group, the, the Gershonites, who had to carry all of the curtains. Uh, and then finally you read about the Merorites, who had to carry all of the poles and the tent pegs of the tabernacle. And as I was reading that, you know, I was thinking about this. I'm sure that some of these responsibilities probably felt more important and prestigious than others. And some of those tasks probably seemed a little tedious at times. But dividing up all of those responsibilities and spreading them amongst all of those different families is what gave the Levites the strength to accomplish the task of carrying that tabernacle through the desert for 40 straight years. If Aaron and his family didn't do their job at properly covering up that ark from sight, then the Kohathites would have died as they approached the holiness and presence of God. And if the Merorites left the poles or the tent pegs behind, then the tabernacle couldn't have been put back together again. So, so you may look at your particular skill sets, or maybe you think your, your lack thereof, or you may look at the tedious or discouraging situation or season of life that the Lord has you in, and it may feel like you are just doing nothing more with your life than just carrying handfuls of tent pegs across a desert. But whatever your task, know that you were created for a purpose. You are a part of a larger body of believers, and each one of you has been given unique roles and responsibilities. And when we all collectively do our part, that provides the body of Christ with the strength that we need to carry out the mission of the church and to keep us marching strong through the wilderness, closer and closer to the eternal promised land. So, so we've defined what diversity even is. Uh, we've talked about why it's so vital and indispensable. Uh, but finally, let, let's look at the end of that statement that I began with. I said, diversity is indispensable to the design of God's church. Diversity is God-designed. To see that, just look at the, the end of the text that we're, we're focusing on, at verses 18 through 20. Paul writes, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. God himself arranged the members of the body as he so chose. Which means that the body of Christ didn't come about by some strange evolutionary process 
but rather by the very design of God himself. And there's a lot of implications to understanding God's intentional structuring and ordering of his body. Uh, But let me just give you an example of what happens when you don't understand that design and what happens when you do. If you don't understand that God himself authored and arranged this vast diversity found within his body, you'll never have any contentment. You'll be an ear who thinks that you ought to be an eye or an eye that wants to be a nose. And you'll keep thinking to yourself that surely God must have gotten it wrong. Surely he made a mistake when he was divvying out the roles and the responsibilities for his followers. Surely you weren't meant to to be the one who was just carrying the tent pegs. But, But what you're really saying, if you think that, in the midst of all of that, what you're really saying is that you think that you ought to be God instead. You're really just wanting to take his place and be the one in control. And for you to decide who belongs where in the body of Christ. And therefore, you'll never have any contentment or trust that the Lord has orchestrated and arranged his body in such a way that you are exactly where he wanted you to be. So if you don't understand God's design, you'll never have any contentment. But when you do come to understand and trust in this design, then not only can you have contentment, but your pride can never again be in control. Biblical diversity destroys pride. When you realize that you're no more or less important to the body of Christ than anyone else Jesus died for, that reality cuts your pride down to the very roots. That dramatically downsizes your ego. Through God's grace and the death and burial and resurrection of his son, uh, he has brought you into the body of Christ. And if he knew since eternity past that he would one day bring you into that body, then surely he knew and has plans for where he was going to place you in that body as well. It's no accident that he has brought this congregation together as he did. And if you don't understand that, you'll never be content. But if you do, then your pride will never again be in control. So the inclusivity, uh, the diversity of the church was, was one of the, the greatest assets of, of the early church during those first 300 years, helping flan, fan the flames of the gospel uh, throughout the Roman Empire. And we've seen here in Paul's writings that diversity is still indispensable to the design of God's church even today. And, and as you think about that this week, I want to leave you with a quote uh, from the pastor, John Piper. Uh, He wrote this in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. He said that the fame and greatness and worth of an object of beauty increases in proportion to the diversity of those who recognize its beauty. 
I know that that's a heavy, heady statement, but just let that sink in. The worth of a beautiful object increases in proportion to the diversity of those recognizing its beauty. If I stand before you and I tell you of the the beauty and the worth of Jesus Christ, uh, maybe you could just write me off as a fanatic. Uh, Maybe I just, I don't know what I'm talking about. But when millions and millions of individuals spread across 2,000 years of church history, representing every tribe, every tongue, every nation, when so many individuals that literally have nothing else in common can collectively proclaim the beauty and the worth of the crucified and risen Christ, then maybe he's worth your attention after all. The fame and greatness and worth of an object increases in proportion to the diversity of those who recognize its beauty. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you. Uh, we, we are so incredibly thankful for the, just the, the beautiful complexities of the body of Christ. When we study about it in your word, uh, we, we see that it is just as unbelievably intricate and diverse as our own physical bodies. And I pray that, that we would uh, never see that as a hindrance or something that, that is, is weighing or tying us down. Uh, but rather, I pray that we would just see that as, as one of our greatest assets and strengths, Father, that you want to, to utilize so many diverse members to reach this community with the gospel of Christ. Pray that we would remember that in the days, uh, in the weeks, in the months to come. I ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.